Are you growing your beard on purpose or is that just a byproduct? <laughs> am I growing my beard on purpose or am I not shaving my beard on purpose? <laughs> Welcome to episode 345 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. Brian, sequential numerical uh, episode mm. one this time. I yeah. love it. Three, four, Three, five. Four, five. Mm-hmm. I feel like I look at the clock a lot of times when it's 1234. I'm like, every time I, I look at the clock, like one, two, three, four. <laughs> Did you do that? Nope. <laughs> okay. But now I will. Yeah. Uh, no, it's nice. It, it doesn't fit anywhere on our grid or on like a computer, you know, base eight system. Sure, sure. So it's not that great, but in terms of, I guess, sequentially, it's nice. Yeah, yeah. Because the next one will be what? Four, five, six. Four, five, yeah, they're rare, right? <laughs> like it doesn't come very often. Two so. years away. Yeah. Celebrate it while it's here. Anyways, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, we got a lot to get into today. And then it's the Westworld finale tonight. So we oh, can, yeah. yeah. And Dave just had a finale too. Did you watch the finale of that? Uh, no, but I heard it's good. But I'm not caught up yet. It's very good. Yeah, man. With a, a slight bit of follow up, just uh, as a tangent, we mentioned Dave before. It's a very good show. It's over now, and I've seen all the episodes. I can attest that yes, it is a very good show that you should watch. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I'm maybe halfway through, I suppose, but I, I'll catch up. Please. All right, so let's get into it. We have a Golden Ratio supporter on Patreon. So huge thank you to Float this week. Float is an easy-to-use resource management tool for planning your projects and scheduling your team's time. It's built by creatives for creatives, and it makes resource planning really simple. You can learn more at float.com slash design details. We also have some new very important pixels this week, but first... Marshall, we hit a milestone this week. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we crossed 200 VIPs. Right, this, yeah. Which is crazy. Like, 200 is a lot of people now. Because, like, we we were always worried recording bonus episodes and now bonus segments. Like, oh, we're doing all this stuff and, like, not many people will get to hear it. So we wanted to, like, keep pushing the best stuff to the main show, right? Mm-hmm. But now 200 people, it's like, okay, cool. There's, like, a cool little sub-audience here mm-hmm. of people who are supporting the show. So anyways, thank you to the new people this week. Thank you to Divya Talk. Long time. Yeah, long time tweeter, first time subscriber. Thank you. Welcome to the fam. Ugo Chukwo Ifezu. Hope I got that. Sarah Zhang, Joey Banks, Nijat Oral, Kyler Phillips, Jamin Desai, Sophia Pang, Q. Just the letter Q. I think this is James Bond's assistant. Yeah, yeah. Where's the goodies? ESC. Like the key. Like the key, all caps. Uh, ESC, I know this person's name because I see their email when they subscribe in Patreon, but their display name on Patreon is just ESC. So that's what we're going to say. Maybe that's their initials, and that's some pretty badass initials to have. Your initials are Escape? That's fucking rad. Yeah, it's awesome. So thank you, Escape. Steve Clark, Susie Tsui, and... Simon Toronto. Thank you, everyone. That's a lot of uh, VIPs this week, Brian. Big week. I wonder if it's because of the sidebar, because this is more than normal. Yeah. Maybe it's working. Tell us if this is working. If you <laughs> yeah. subscribe because you wanted to hear the sidebar, let us know that like it's still for me in the experimental phase. We want to know if the the bonus segment is is enough to, you know, make people feel good about supporting the show. 
Yep. If you didn't know, we are a listener-supported podcast, and every week we have a special bonus segment of the episode called The Sidebar. 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 <laughs> and The Sidebar is where we share a story or uh, an anecdote or pro tip or a little hack, just something design-related uh, that we think people will enjoy each week. So this week, we talked about building small hacks and automations for yourself, a little software for yourself. If you want to listen to this and other future bonus segments of the sidebar in, in upcoming episodes, go to patreon.com slash design details. For just a dollar a month, you get access to the sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. All right, let's get into some follow-up. Yeah, so this first one is a DM we got from listener Sam Bazalo. Hopefully I'm saying your name right, Sam. But uh, in short, he says that he agrees with our points from episode 344, the last episode, uh, where we're talking about showing evidence from users to make a bulletproof argument and prove your point and move away from opinions. And so he has a great example of how he encountered this problem at uh, a previous role and he gathered all of the user data to prove his point and presented it to the product owners and changed their minds. Go figure. Uh, he showed a video of users having a ton of frustration using the fucking thing and rage clicking. And uh, that's enough to persuade people like, hey, maybe your product isn't built perfectly. We should maybe fix this. So, uh -huh. so he has a, a link to a case study that we'll include in the show notes. Uh, where you can read up on that. But really cool. Thanks for sending that in, Sam. Yeah, I love this. I think this was kind of our final point in the episode, right? Like get out of opinion land and into user research data land as quickly as possible. And like being able to show people being frustrated is the most valuable ammunition you have when it comes to winning an argument like this. Mm -hmm. So nicely done, Sam. Yep. All right. Uh, we also had a little more follow-up from last week. We heard from Divya Talk, new very important pixel, who says... From today's episode, one of the things that my friend uses in her team is asking when debating on an issue, if it's a 10, 100, or 1,000 point issue, mm. that makes sure no one's arguing just for arguing or getting caught up. Basically, adding numbers to the sliding scale of fucks to give. <laughs> Which, uh, so yeah, I like that. Just figure out how much people actually care about these little fights that you're getting in or disagreements. Yeah, it reminds me of like the points that engineers assign to a task, right? Mm. Uh, following a, what's that numerical sequence where it's you add the next number to the previous number? Fibonacci. Fibonacci sequence. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. We also heard from Carl, who is the question asker from last week. This doesn't happen very often if you, mm. if you haven't noticed this, Marshall. Yeah. But people ask questions and uh, we got a little follow-up. So Carl says... Thanks for answering my question. The final point was super helpful because it perfectly represents the situation I'm in. Startup land with minimal resources. I have a habit of fighting every fight, so I better run down some of those hills fast. Nice. Yeah. Glad that uh, we were able to answer your question eventually. We got Hopefully. to it by the last <laughs> point. <laughs> yeah. Well, good luck. Uh, startups are hard. Pick your fights. Everything will be fine. Okay. We also have, I guess this will be like, ongoing follow-up because we're getting some straggler people who are sharing their early shameful work from their portfolio, uh -huh. which is great. Uh, so we heard from Jacob Lindstrom who says, I don't know if this qualifies as early work, but my old blog is still online. This is where it all started and got me into designing web pages. We have a link to, uh, yep, this is a blog. Uh, oh boy. Blog with a sidebar and uh, 
this is like very mid 2000s yeah style it's like it's hosted on blogspot.com which is like a mid 2000s website mm-hmm. uh or maybe late 2000s anyways yep looks like a blog and it looks like the last post was on 17th of december 2009 oh yeah so there you go but yeah I, I totally resonate with this. I, I, I got my start on WordPress and WordPress was like my whole entry point into design. Right? I was like, okay, there's this template, but I want it to do this thing slightly different or I want it to look slightly better or I want to organize it in a slightly different way. And that was how I got interested in like making websites and then eventually thinking about product. Like, okay, how are people consuming this? How's it organized? Are people like able to find things that they need? Is search working? Is the information architecture correct? Like, that was my rabbit hole. Yeah, I, I, I feel like uh, the first time I got into really customizing web pages uh, was MySpace. Mm-hmm. Where I was like uh, editing HTML and trying to trying to make it look, you know, all the, all the colors and type styles and everything mm-hmm. that I wanted. Uh, yeah, bringing me back, Brian. Taking me back. Yeah, that internet doesn't exist anymore, huh? Nope, probably for the best. Yeah, maybe. It was fun though. All right, well, that's follow-up. We have one tweet this week from Jared Lodwick, who just tweeted a nice photo of uh, the Design Details t-shirt, which at this point is years old. Jared said, after wearing this almost weekly for like four years, I'm retiring this Design Details FM shirt into the apparel section of my cool tech swag collection, sealed away for safekeeping for future generations. Aw. Preserve for posterity. I probably wouldn't have been offended if he said I'm going to like retire it to use as a dust rag or something. That would also be cool, right? Like you wore it so much to the point that it's not wearable anymore. So you're it's still, no but you're still finding finding ways to get utility from it. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're super comfy shirts. Like the material that you used is like stretchy and soft and comfy. Yeah. Uh, we can try and bring those back. I yeah, have this I is a good segue, Brian. Yeah, what about swag? How's that coming along, buddy? Actually, oh, I can say that you have sent me mock-ups of what some swag can look like. We've we've had discussions on on designs of things, but how how what about the actual sourcing? Uh, it's just a lot of work. We'll probably go the Cotton Bureau route again because we can't be responsible for shipping and, and printing and all that kind of stuff. It's just a matter of design. Like we could do the same design, which is our logo on different colored t-shirts, which I wouldn't mind because I only have one. I have mm-hmm. a black one, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would like different colors. But I don't know. I just am not a great graphic designer. So like anything I come up with from a logo branding graphic perspective just feels shitty. And I don't want to make something that is shitty, you know? Yeah. I think e- even if we just did like the current logo on a hoodie or something, that would even be satisfying on its own, right? Like, okay, same design, but like a new article to wear it in different temperatures. So, do you just want to satisfy Brian or do you want to surprise and delight? <laughs> At this point, <laughs> satisfaction would be just fine. <laughs> That's <Marshall>. true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess, I guess meeting the lowest bar possible is good at this point. Yeah. Well, forward motion on that and we'll, we'll keep you up to date, listeners. All right, let's get into our main topic. We have a listener question from Tiffany C.U. who says, Hey there, wanted to thank you for the podcast. It's been super helpful. You're welcome. I also wanted to share that doing a talk on developing taste would be great. You guys talked about it in a recent episode. So developing taste. Marshall, this has come up maybe once or twice now, but we like paused on doing it. I think we 
neither of us were really sure. I'm still not sure of the science or research behind this, but we should just have a conversation about what it means to have taste and can you develop taste? And if so, how do you go about developing taste? Yeah. Uh, full disclosure, Brian, we actually did have a conversation about this, but it was part of a, an episode that was so long already that I cut it partially because it didn't fit into the episode, partially because it was kind of a weird little side tangent. But, right. okay, let's talk about it for real. And the interesting thing is my opinion back then is different from my opinion now. It's evolved since then. So let's Is it worth saying what your opinion then was? And then we can compare it to what you have today. So part of the reason that I cut it out is we kind of fought a little bit. <laughs> You're like, uh, you were of the opinion that taste is a thing that could be learned and taught. And I was of the opinion that taste is a thing that was kind of inherent or at least innate, right? And since then, I've I've thought about it a lot because you were very vehement about being like, <laughs> no, you can learn taste. And like, nah, uh -huh. man, you got to have taste. And now I, I kind of think that, yes, the taste is something you can develop. It is a It is like a skill. You can get better at it and you can understand why some things are better. What, I what think, changed your mind? Um... Well, okay, so, well, I should maybe say why I thought what I thought before. Yeah, sure. Which was, when you think about people who really push forward a medium, right? When you think about the innovators, when you think about those who think outside of the box, Brian, they are not using an example of what is known to be the right way to do it, right? Like, like people who have taste like this stuff, and here's why they like this stuff. But those who create the new things aren't working off of any existing framework of what's the right way to do it. They create it. And the way they're able to create it and have it be recognized as good is because they have taste. And sometimes it's not recognized for a long, long time that, the, what, that what they've done has been good. Like look at your Van Goghs or yeah, any other yeah. artist who was starving while they were alive and you know their painting's worth millions now. So how do you account for that? You know what I mean? So that's kind of where I was coming at it from bef before, but but I'm I'm willing to admit it's not only an inherent trait. Well, okay, this is an interesting distinction. Like I think taste can be learned, but I'm not convinced that taste can be taught. Like I don't think you could go to taste 101 at some art school or design school. Hmm. But I feel like through the process of living life and experiencing the world and making things, you develop taste. I can look back on my early work and point to specific things and be like, I clearly had no taste. Like this wasn't going anywhere. I picked bad things. But over the years, I've made more stuff. I've been exposed to more ideas. I've had enough critiques with other people. that now I'm able to contrast that with what I know. Therefore, I think I have more taste today than I did 10 years ago. Therefore, something happened in between there where I learned or developed that taste, right? Maybe not specifically somebody sitting down with me and saying, here is how to have taste. But <laughs> I feel like, you know, even just to bring close to home, like part of the process of you and me critiquing each other's work or critiquing other people's work has helped me. It's like added a new lens onto things, right? Like hearing the way you talk about products and software and thinking about visuals and consistency and alignment and like we talk about all these different kinds of things and that is a lens that lends itself to having taste in a thing. Okay. So how, do you do you think that it can be taught or do you think that it can be learned? Well, uh I guess you teach yourself, right? Which is learning. I don't know. Words are hard, but 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, fine. Yeah. Maybe you can't. Maybe you can't teach it. I don't know. I've changed my opinion so much over the past couple of months about this that. Uh, well, then let's. Well, well, we can dig into you and where do you think you got your taste? Like, if you can look back, are there moments where there was like a before and after of the way you perceive the world or think about what is good and bad? Well. Uh, maybe first we can define taste so that we're just both speaking the same language mm. here. Okay, sure. Define taste for me, Brian. Okay, let me think about this for a second. Taste is a value judgment of goodness or badness. Are you Googling it? Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that was my non-Google hypothesis. What does Google tell us that taste really means? Well, uh, I'm at the Rutledge Encyclopedia of Philosophy here, and... It says, taste has been variously understood as one, the capacity to take pleasure in certain artistic and natural objects, two, the capacity to identify the constituent elements in such objects, and three, the capacity to discern certain special properties. So does this help at all? Yeah, I feel like you can be taught like the vocabulary or you could be taught things to look out for. And I think this is where design is certainly useful because design is hopefully solving different kinds of problems. So you could approach taste from that point of view, like, oh, this is good because it's considered in the way in the way that it would be held or the way that it would be placed on a surface or the way it would reflect light in certain ways. Like those might all lend itself to the ultimate evaluation of, of an object. But I feel like there's a part of that in there, which is you only can start to discern what is special when you have a wide enough range of experiences in the world. Uh, this is really dumb, but I'll bring it back. But the example that I used in in the segment that you cut a few episodes ago was this idea of kitchen drawers. Mm-hmm. And like, if you grow up in a house that just has normal kitchen drawers, like your whole mental model of what a kitchen drawer could be is fixed, like limited. It is a thing that just opens and closes. Maybe it has different shaped handles, but it just opens and closes. And then as you start to have more experiences in the world, you come across different kinds of kitchen drawers. You come across kinds that perhaps there's like a light inside that turns on when you open it or kitchen drawers where you don't have to close it all the way. You let go and the hinge sort of pulls it back in. What's that called? Soft close. Soft close. Yeah. It's only through exposure to more things like that that you realize what's possible in the world. Mm -hmm. And not that knowing what's possible is the prerequisite of taste because I think, you know, we're kind of getting on the boundary here of like how do you push that forward? Yeah. But anyways, I feel like there is just a baseline like vocabulary and dictionary that you just have to learn over time through experience. And that can still lend itself to learning what is tasteful or learning why certain things are more special than other things. Yeah, I, uh, so I think this definition is interesting because it identifies a part that I haven't really thought about before, which is like, in order to have taste, you have to be able to derive pleasure from a thing that isn't inherently pleasurable, right? Like, I don't know, that was a thing that I haven't hadn't really identified, but I think it's interesting that it's called out here. Yeah. Th- does that ring true for you? Yeah, I mean, I think that certainly comes into play when we talk about the art part of this because there are like art curators and art collectors who can look at a painting and say that's good or that's bad. Mm -hmm. And this is leading me down this path of like, okay, you can have different kinds of tastes and different things because I don't have any sort of taste for art. Like I go to an art museum and I'm like, I'm like a 99%. I don't get what the fuck this is. And Mm -hmm. I think that's totally just 
me being naive and not having enough exposure or having enough conversations with people who know what they're talking about. But to me, art is still this thing. I'm like, I don't know what's good or bad. There's things that I like or don't like, usually on visuals or whatever my aesthetic happens to be. But like developing a taste for art seems like an entirely different thing than developing a taste for like, oh, this is a nicely designed spoon or this is a nicely designed website or like things that I interact with on a more frequent basis. Yeah, I I have a good example of this. I am blind to wedding dresses. Oh, yeah. Like unless it's especially bad, all wedding dresses look the same to me. I cannot tell you the difference. Same thing with like women's uh, high heel shoes. Some things are super popular that I'm like, that looks ugly to me. But like, I have no <laughs> idea what any, uh-huh. why anyone would want to wear that. But okay, sure, fine. Meanwhile, I am like super deep into sneakers. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's very similar, but it's because of the exposure. I've seen a ton of sneakers and I, and I know what I think is cool. I know what other people think is cool. I have, and, and maybe this is where we can get into like style versus taste, right? Personal yeah, style. Yeah. Where it's like, I have the things that I like, and that doesn't mean that I have good or bad taste necessarily, because part of the reason we got into the kitchen drawer conversation was we were talking about architecture styles, and you know I was talking about how I, I love a minimalist modern aesthetic, and some other people like a country kitchen aesthetic or like a, a, a log cabin aesthetic. Like that's what's beautiful to them, but it's not beautiful to me. Does that mean that they don't have taste and I do, or... Vice versa, like, do we all have taste if those things are executed well? Is taste relative or subjective? Yeah, oh, man, to shit. personal style, yeah. Like, just because I put glossy, shiny shit on my buttons, does that mean I have bad taste because it's not in vogue? But if I execute it correctly and well, is it still bad taste? I don't know. Does it make a good taste? Yeah, and like, <laughs> it seems like we're collectively the arbiters of taste, right? Like, you couldn't say that person has good taste without people, other people who have good taste agreeing that they have good taste. There has to be like mm-hmm. some sort of consensus. Right, guys. Right. Yeah. And it's temporal too. What is in good taste today is in bad taste tomorrow. Right. Like right. bell bottoms. Yeah. Well, that particular example drives me nuts. I, I think like modern fashion repeating the 90s and, and 80s is really frustrating well fashion in general is cyclical right like facial hair does the same thing hairstyles do the same thing they come in they go out they come in they go out and depending on where you are in time it's either good taste or bad taste if you've got a beehive you know what i mean well then maybe the taste part is being slightly on on the leading edge of that cycle right like if you can be ahead of the mainstream then you're considered to have better taste or like more forward-thinking taste I, i don't know trendsetter yeah okay so i think there might be an element here where in order to have good taste you also have to know the history of things and like this goes into the general theme of like having more exposure and like knowing about more things but i'm thinking a contrived example here is what is a good port design (laughs) just to be Mm. technologically centered Mm -hmm. like there are good ports to use and there are bad ports to use right Mm-hmm. USB Type A is a bad port. It's a to bad use. port, yeah. USB Type C is a good Great. port to use. Mm-hmm. Lightning, very good. Lightning, good. Like micro USB, very bad. They have, yeah, they have attributes that make them desirable that I don't know you would consider if there wasn't the historical artifact to compare it against. Like USB C might not necessarily be better if we didn't have 
USB type A to compare it to. Like, mm-hmm. oh, this one's reversible and historically it was not reversible. Therefore, this one has a more considered design or some special attribute that makes it better. I don't know if you can have taste for cables, but anyways, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to think about the historical context here. So I feel like we just keep circling around this idea of like exposure, exposure, exposure to historical precedent, to the current zeitgeist, to whatever trajectory the current zeitgeist is headed. Like, are we on an upswing or are we on a downswing? Mm -hmm. And then acknowledging that there are multiple kinds of tastes for every kind of imaginable thing to be evaluated, right? Yeah. Art, fashion, software design, (laughs) hairstyles. Yeah. I remember there was a period where the aesthetic of 80s synth music was just detestable to me. I listened to it. This is like in the late 90s, early 2000s. When I listened back to music from the 80s, like this is terrible, terrible music. How did this ever make it onto the radio? And now it's like, you know, 15 years later, and I fucking love that aesthetic. Like, <laughs> is it because everybody else likes it that uh-huh. I like it now? Is it is it the vaporwave thing that, you know, makes me like this thing? Or is it because I actually like it myself? That's one thing I wonder yeah. about with taste is like, how much of this is me enjoying a thing because I like it? And how much of this is me being influenced by other people who have a loud voice saying they like it? It seems like that can't be untangled, right? Like how could you for sure say that you like a thing because you like it and not because you've seen everyone around you also likes it? Mm -hmm. Well, okay, so let's let's tie this back to software design. Like Mm -hmm. let's say you are a young designer and you're trying to develop a better eye, more taste for what makes good interfaces. How can we map all this back onto guiding tips or principles? Like the first thing that comes to mind for me is Get exposed to more stuff. Mm-hmm. Like go out and play with things, read old books about old software, go look at fucking Windows 98 and like do it consciously. Like think about why things are good or bad and like don't be so immediately distracted by the aesthetic because I think the aesthetic's important. But like, can we look at something and understand different kinds of properties of goodness or badness? Was it usable? Was it clear? Did they use good language? Were there mm-hmm. affordances or signifiers to do common actions? Like that might be one way is like actually really digging in intentionally on looking at software. Yeah. And just because it lacks in certain areas doesn't mean it's not excelling in other areas, right? Just because it's poorly visually designed doesn't mean it's got bad usability, right? Right. Well, so then of course that means you also need to be making lots of stuff. Like have you ever Mm -hmm. noticed, Marshall, like the more you try to make things, Mm -hmm. the more you notice other things that are good. Yeah. This is clear for me in software, especially dealing with like animations and haptics and and gestures. Like the more I try to make good things on my own, the more it illuminates when other people have done an exceptional job of that. Like what Mm -hmm. comes to mind for me is like things, right? Things for iOS Mm -hmm. and Mac. Like it does certain things with animations, transitions, keyboard shortcuts. Like there's so much stuff there that you aren't really aware of unless you've tried to make that thing before. Mm-hmm. Once you've tried to make it, you're like hit all the edge cases, you hit all the performance limitations, you hit the API constraints, and then to see somebody actually pull it off, you're like, oh, that's good because they I know all of the hurdles that they overcame to get there. This is the magician appreciating another magician's trick, right? Mm-hmm. Es- especially if the effect is not 
astounding, right? But the the method is very difficult. It's like, oh yeah, that's a cool trick if you don't know anything about it. But if you know what it took to make that happen, you have a greater appreciation for it. But unless you've gone through it, you don't know how hard it is. I, th- I've, I've noticed this before where entire worlds open when you try to do something and realize how difficult it is, where what you thought was a small percentage of the pie explodes and becomes a bunch of different things, right? So mm-hmm. for example, um, you mentioned haptics. Like I used to think about accessibility as like a thing, right? It's like, uh, it's like color contrast of like, make sure that I can read text or whatever. But try using your phone with voiceover on and close your eyes, right? The more you learn about that, the more you realize that's an entire fucking world that needs to be thought about and considered. And you multiply that by 10 because there are so many other aspects of accessibility that need to be taken into account, right? And it's only once you experience it and go through it and realize how much effort goes into making it done that you appreciate the magic trick. You know what? I feel like this is a great segue into cool things because I want to talk about accessibility and and one of my cool things. I love it. Let's do it. Let's take that accessibility line of thinking into my cool thing. I'm going to be talking about virtual reality in my cool thing this week. I'll start with a game called Beat Saber, mm-hmm. which maybe some of you have heard of or seen videos of. Mm-hmm. It's basically like Guitar Hero in VR, except instead of strumming a plastic guitar, you are swinging virtual lightsabers to slice red and blue blocks. Perfect description. That's great. But there's a couple things. Okay, so let's bring it back to the accessibility. Why do you think that they're red and blue? <laughs> because it doesn't matter what your color blindness level is, you can tell the difference between red and blue. Yeah. And then there was another, They ha- Beat Saber has these settings that you can configure, and one of them is one-handed play. So normally you have mm-hmm. like a red lightsaber in your left hand, a blue lightsaber in your right hand, but you have an option to just play with one arm. And my initial reaction was, oh, I bet that's just like a different mode or like a different kind of challenge. Like, oh, do I want to play this with one hand? Mm-hmm. But then the obvious answer here is this is a fucking accessibility setting. Like yep. they want people who have one arm or like, you know, some sort of handicap on one arm to still be able to play and enjoy the game. Yeah. What do they do? Do they do like a Darth Maul thing where it's like blue on one side, red on the other? I haven't tried end? it. That's a good question. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. I haven't tried it. Okay, so that's my segue into VR. So my cool thing this week is Effie busted out her Oculus Rift, which has been sitting in a closet for a long time, Mm -hmm. but we got bored. And she busted it out because a friend told her of a newly released game called Half-Life Alex. Marshall, have you heard of this game? I ordered a Valve Index because of this (laughs) game, and I'm waiting to play this game until I get that VR set. Okay. It has special controllers. But yes, I'm very much aware. And please don't tell me too much because I'm spoiler free. Okay. Spoiler free. This was my first time going back into VR in probably two or three years. And my mind has exploded. Mm-hmm. Like this is the only kind of game I want to play now. Oh, holy shit. And I think it took a triple A title like this mm-hmm. to really hit home. Like the graphics, the gameplay, the consideration. You can interact with everything in the game. It is buck fucking wild. And because you can interact with everything, you can be creative with how you navigate the world and solve problems. You know, we're playing on a slightly older headset. So like even with like worse graphics and not the best refresh rate, it's still incredible. 
the fact that after 20 minutes of playing, I immediately went on the Oculus website. I'm like, I have to upgrade my hardware. I have to like Did play this on the index? best settings. No, everything is sold out. Every single like modern VR headset is sold out. So anyways, this is my call to action for people who are interested in VR but have been putting it off. This is legit content. This was incredibly fun. So Effie and I are still working our way through the campaign. We're, I don't know, maybe eight or 10 hours in or something. We've been playing a few nights. And it is incredible. It is visceral. It is scary. It is intense. Your adrenaline pumps. And fuck, if it isn't just a ton of fun and makes me want more developers to just crank out games like this. So Half-Life Alex, we're playing on the Oculus Rift and we're going to upgrade our hardware as soon as we possibly can because yeah. it's it's amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm, I'm glad you're getting into it. Well, also to mention, like this is the first Half-Life game in like a decade. Yeah, so there's like pent-up intensity anyways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool thing, Brian. Good suggestion. I can't wait till I get my index. How do you hold up with scary games? I do not do them well. I know our friend of the show, Rafa, and uh, co-host of Layout Podcast, he played through the entirety of Resident Evil 7 in VR, no problem. Which, if you know anything about that game and about what it's like in VR, is impossible. It's like like hard, hard, hardcore mode. I can't imagine doing that. I would shit my pants, Brian. Uh, okay, I'm very excited to see how you how you get through Half-Life. Yeah, yeah. It's not that it's scary. It's just that it's visceral. Like Everything is visceral in VR. It's yeah, crazy. It's so intense. Yeah. All right, well, very cool thing. My cool thing is a little doohickey I call Robo Killer. Have you heard of this, Brian? I think I have, yeah. Is this for spam calls? Yeah, it's an app for your phone to reduce spam calls. It is super useful, especially during uh, campaign times for politics or... Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have, like me, you have a number that was previously owned by someone who had lots of debt issues and you get calls from debt collectors all the time asking for, for money from you and that's not your name. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Pretty specific there, Marshall. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so I got RoboKiller. It uh, does a bunch of things. So what's really cool is this new feature that they have. You can set it up to screen your calls. So when someone calls your number, if they're not in your contacts, it will send them to like an automated third-party thing where they ask them their name and the reason for their call. If they're legit, it will send you a transcribed version of those answers. Oh, Here's who's what? calling and what they're calling about before you even accept, right? So it's a way that they don't just block everybody who's not in your contact, like your address book. Right, right. Because that's been my problem. Like on iOS 13, they came out with the, the setting to silence unknown callers in the phone exactly. app. Yeah, yeah. But the problem with that is when you actually want your phone to ring, like if, if the delivery person's outside mm-hmm. or... If you do one of those on hold callbacks for like some customer support line mm-hmm. instead of waiting on the line, yeah, yeah. And if you forget to turn this feature off, then that call will just automatically get silenced and you lose your place in line. Mm-hmm. And it's super frustrating. Okay, so this fixes that. Uh, I haven't had it happen yet, but uh, so far I've gotten way fewer spam calls and stuff like that. Like my phone never rings anymore. I used to get a couple of text messages and like three or four calls a day. And since installing RoboKiller, I don't get any. Uh, what's really cool is if you're a sadistic asshole, 
they have these pre-recorded answering people. They're like answer <laughs> bots. So uh-huh. when someone calls you, it will pick up your phone for you and play this audio, which is like actors. So for example, there's somebody who's like cooking in a kitchen and really distracted <laughs> or someone who's like yes. uh, going through a tunnel and can't hear them, right? So they're having a conversation with a pre-recording. They just don't know it. And it will record that for you so you can listen back to them floundering. So, oh my God, this is amazing. I thought this was a funny idea because I got so many bad calls. But one time, this nice lady was calling. It was a politics thing, right? She was calling for money, but like it was a nice lady. And, and the pre recording was kind of confusing and, and ma- it wasted her time, which is fine if it's a spam person. But this person, like, she was just like a nice lady trying to call and get money for the symphony or whatever. Right. And I listened to the recording and felt really bad about it. So I turned it <laughs> off and now I just have a generic answering thing. It's like, hey, this is so-and-so's phone. Right, I see. Yeah. I see, okay. Well, I've re-downloaded it. I guess I downloaded it at one point, but it says uh, it's it's a monthly subscription, but it's not super expensive, so probably yeah. worth it. Yeah, it's not that bad. I, I forgot that it even cost money. I think it's like two or three bucks a month, something like that. Worth it. Worth it to not have my phone ring several times a day. Ugh. Yeah, super distracting. Yeah. All right. Well, cool thing. Let's wrap up. Yeah, let's get out of here. Thank you, everyone, for, for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter, at Design Details FM. Before you go, if you are working on a team of creative people and you need help making resource planning easier, go to float.com slash design details. Float's one of our new Golden Ratio supporters, and they're mm-hmm. going to be uh, hanging out with us for the next few weeks. So go check them out, float.com slash design details. And of course, thank you to everyone who is also supporting the show on Patreon, patreon.com slash design details. Sign up today for just a dollar a month. You get access to uh, all the future bonus segments of the sidebar on upcoming sidebar, episodes. Sidebar, sidebar, If you need more podcasts, go to spec.fm. That's our podcast network for designers and developers just, just like, like you. you. Thank you uh, to everyone for listening. We'll catch you next week. Bye. You know, I have this thing. My my dog has figured out that when I say bye, no, that means that my hands are free for scritching. And so now if I'm sitting on the couch and I end a, a video chat and I say bye, she'll come over and expect me to pet her because she knows that I'm no longer occupied. Whoa. Okay. Wow. Yeah. She's kind of smart.